Welcome to a special edition of What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, recorded during our 2019 Global Summit in Hong Kong, Summit speaker Paul Thurman gives a teaser of his presentation on intelligent risk-taking. Hi, everyone, and greetings from the Cornet Global Summit here in Hong Kong. I'm Paul Thurman, a professor of management analytics at Columbia University. I'd like to do a brief podcast today uh, from here in Hong Kong regarding risk and what it means to take risk and manage risks effectively, especially when it comes to making decisions that involve a lot of risk. So first question is, what is risk? And what does it mean to take risk in your organization? Does it mean to take a personal risk? Does it mean to take a risk with your team? Uh, what, are, what do those risks involve? Do they involve perhaps financial capital, uh, personal or talent capital? What does it really mean to take a risk? Uh, often we tend to think of risk really uh, only on the downside. What will happen if something does not work? Or what's the worst case scenario if I attempt to deploy a strategy and either doesn't work or isn't optimal. But risk also has a plus side. There are upsides uh, to taking risks. The payoffs and benefits could be quite substantial uh, and even more than uh, had you not taken the risk in the first place. So a balanced view of risk is often quite helpful uh, when thinking about how to manage those risks. Uh, but first off, what does it mean for you to take a risk and, and why is managing those risks or taking those risks so hard? Uh, we often think about risks very personally, but there's also team-based and organizational-based risks that come up with any business decision that we try to take, uh, whether it be about deploying new capital, entering new markets, uh, changing our products and services, uh, acquiring uh, or divesting companies uh, as part of our business portfolio. So when it comes to taking risks, what, uh, how do we do that? What's sort of the psychology around it? A lot of people will say that, that some of the biggest challenges to taking risks is uh, worrying about the downside, uh, worrying about sticking their necks out uh, in order to be exposed at some level. But again, what, what does the psychology tell us? Well, what's interesting is there's a framework uh, longstanding in uh, psychology and in business management known as the Kubler-Ross change curve, which basically says that no matter what the change is that we're going through or what the risk is that we encounter, we go through various states or phases of thinking or processing the emotions associated with that risk, whether that risk or that change is a positive or a negative. So uh, whether you win the lottery, uh, and hopefully you will, uh, or you receive a diagnosis of, uh, of a disease, which hopefully you won't, uh, we still go through the same emotional processes of first being shocked uh, by it. Wow, I've won the lottery, or oh my goodness, I've been diagnosed with a disease. We're shocked at first. We then start to deny, uh, wow, this can't be happening. This can't be the case. But sooner or later, we start to move down into what a lot of people refer to as the valley of despair. So we, we may become depressed. Uh, again, whether we've won the lottery, wow, what do we do with all this money? How is this going to change our lives? Or, or the same process, if you will, with a debilitating disease. But eventually, we start to climb out of that valley of despair and we start to experiment a bit with the new normal. Well, you know, we can, we, we can figure out how to live with this, uh, again, whether it's the disease or the, the lottery winnings. And sooner or later, we actually start to adopt and to adapt to that new normal, uh, and we make it a part of our lives. So this change curve or this, these different states or phases of change, everyone goes through. The big 
takeaway here, though, is that not everyone processes through those different states of, of change in the same way or in the same time frame. So some people will be shocked longer than others. Some will be uh, in the valley of despair uh, for shorter periods of time. Uh, others will move on to experimenting with the new normal and changing their ways uh, more quickly or more slowly than others. And that's important in a corporate context because we may get through the change at one speed, but others around us, our teammates, our executives, our customers, uh, may be processing that change more slowly or more quickly. So we have to be cognizant not just of the way we experience the change or take the risk, but how others uh, either follow or lead uh, in our own time frame. To that point, it brings up a central question is, are people afraid of change? Are they afraid of taking risks? Turns out the psychology uh, and the psychologists will tell us that, no, it's actually not the change that people are afraid of. We're not actually afraid of winning a lottery. Uh, we're not actually afraid of the disease, per se. But we are afraid of loss, and loss is the more powerful motivator. If we, if we lose our freedoms, if we lose our lifestyle that we've become accustomed to, it's that sense of loss that often drives our behavior, not the change itself. So if you think about changes in the workplace, if a reorganization comes along, it's not the change in the organization that you might be fearing, but it's perhaps the loss of control. Maybe you're losing part of your team. Maybe you're losing part of your budget. Maybe you're losing part of your span of control. And that's the thing that really prompts us to take action or not, or to get into that valley of despair or to try to get out of it as quickly as we can. So what are some of the, the challenges with making those changes and taking those risks then if, if loss is going to be a big, uh, a big motivator or demotivator? turns out that, that people fear those changes and those losses for a variety of reasons. Uh, they may want to have an answer that's perfect. So perfectionism sometimes is a reason why we don't adopt change and take risks because we want the answer to be perfect. And if it's not, that may cause us to take a long time to get to a new state of being. Uh, so in the same way perfectionism sometimes causes that, so does procrastination. We'll put it off, we'll put it off. We won't uh, seek treatment, for example, for the disease, or we won't figure out what to do with our with our winnings and how to protect ourselves uh, when we win the lottery, these types of things. So there's a variety of different reasons, but first and foremost, into why change and taking risks are difficult is complacency, which is a word that that doesn't necessarily translate well in other languages, but, but simply put, complacency means people just don't care. Uh, one of the biggest reasons that organizations experience problems with large-scale change efforts is the leadership may believe that the change is the right direction to go. However, the rest of the team and the rest of the staff may not really see any reason or need to change. Uh, inertia is a very powerful force to overcome. And in fact, John Cotter from Harvard Business School uh, recommends that we think about uh, at least seven or eight different solutions when it comes to overcoming that complacency, overcoming the procrastination, uh, overcoming the sense of, of, of having to be perfect uh, with the new world. Uh, and Cotter recommends several things, but I want to focus on two or three of them now. Uh, Cotter says that we need to have a sense of vision. We need to be able to explain where we're headed in our new world, in our new normal, and be able to explain that over and over again confidently to the people who need to follow us. So the power of vision is quite powerful, as is the ability to take small victories along the way. All too often, a lot of change programs are unsuccessful 
because their success is based on very large scale, big impact changes. When in fact, those changes often take a very long time uh, and sometimes don't measure up to the anticipated results. However, if we take small victories along the way, uh, those one tend to show progress sooner. They tend to show early successes. They tend to reinvigorate people to, to see that change is happening. And they show measurable improvements in much shorter periods of time. So a lot of times uh, people will take for granted the short victories, uh, winning the battles, uh, as opposed to focusing solely on winning the war, if you will. So those small victories are very important. So the power of vision, the power of taking small victories uh, and making that part of your plan is important, as well as introducing the whole notion of change into your corporate culture. Uh, corporate cultures that are fairly staid and don't change very often find it very, very difficult to change. Whereas if change is something that is more routine, more customary, more normal, those organizations tend to be more flexible and agile and are able to adapt to changes and new risks as they come along. So hopefully in this podcast, we've had a chance to talk a little bit about uh, what does it mean to take a risk? What do people really fear when they see change coming, which is not really the change itself, but the loss that may entail? And also some ways to, to think uh, more positively about change and how to battle uh, those complacent behaviors where only senior management is talking about change uh, positively, while the rest of the staff aren't really sure why that change needs to happen in the first place. Uh, and along with that, uh, William Bridges, another noted scholar, uh, talks about change uh, perhaps a little bit differently than we're used to. He says that in order to get people to change or to get organizations to change, they must first decide what to stop, uh, which is a bit counterintuitive because change often involves understanding what the new process or the new organization or the new normal needs to be. Uh, Bridges says that's good, but in order to get there effectively, you have to tell people what to stop so that they can do the new normal, so that they can do the new process or evolve into the new organization. And along with that, once you tell people what will stop, uh, you're also in a position to let them be part of the design process of the new world. So that's a very important way to think about change, too. Change just isn't getting people to do the new thing. It's getting them to stop the old thing and be part of designing the new thing in the first place. So hopefully through this podcast, we've had a chance to talk a little bit about change and risk, how to identify them, how to manage them, but most importantly, how to get people to follow you through those difficult periods, through those valleys of despair, through those shocking periods when change is announced, and really get people to buy in, think about what's going to stop and how the new world is better, and also how to make sure that we make those folks, our staff and our teams, a part of that change and a part of that new world moving forward. I thank you for your time and attention. And again, feel, reach, feel free to reach out to me or any of us here at Cornet Global. I'm Paul Thurman from Columbia University, and I look forward to seeing you at our next Global Summit destination. Thank you. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.